Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, some of us are traveling over the holidays. I know Rich especially enjoyed uh, the 10 mile back up at the bridge on the way back to Dover. Uh, he said he, he uh, employed productively by making phone calls, which is a good thing to do. Uh, my wife likes to do that uh, while I'm driving. Our travels were, uh, were uh, fine as well. <clears throat> we got to see uh, my family and then Mary's family. And then last night we got home and, and had that, uh, that joyful experience that you all have when you get back from being away for a few days and you got the big box full of mail to sort out. And given the time of year, uh, you're starting to get that mail from uh, some of the uh, ministries or other charities that you support where they say, hey, you know, the end of the year is coming up, and uh, this might be a good time for you to think about uh, giving an extra gift at the end of the year. That's also uh, the sort of thing you might do to St. Andrews. That's not what I'm talking about this morning, but I don't want to make you <laughs> But what you find on, on many of these, they usually they'll give you like a statement of here's what you've given uh, this year. At the bottom, will have a little, a little disclaimer that says something along the lines of no goods or services were, ex were, were provided in exchange for these gifts other than intangible religious benefits. <coughs> now, the reason you have that there is, of course, well, because there's a lawyer at some point, uh, but No, the reason is that if you, if you, uh, if you make a gift, uh, you get to deduct the value of that gift, but uh, if you, for example, you know, buy a, a ticket to a dinner, uh, you, you don't get to deduct the value of the dinner. You, you, know, you pay $100, and let's say $50 of that is, uh, is what it costs the, the, the charity to put on the dinner. You only get to deduct the $50 that you gave over and above that. You don't get to just deduct the cost of having dinner. And, uh, so, so when churches and other ministries send letters, we have to put that little disclaimer there because, for one, uh, we don't want anybody to have to deduct the cost of writing coffee um, when they when they fill out their uh, their schedule A or whatever it is that they change all that. Uh, but the, the the main thing that, that I bring that up, uh, the, the main reason I bring that up is that there's something very very strange about that line. Partly just because usually we don't like to speak like lawyers and usually get a nice letter uh, accompanying that talking about the important work that the ministry is doing and the good benefits that are 
being derived from it, and then you get this legalese. But the other reason that that always kind of irks me is that we are not in the business of providing a tangible religious benefits. That is not why we're here. And on this feast of St. Andrew, this day that we celebrate our patron saint, Andrew, I think it's especially important that we are clear about what it is that we are doing here. Because what we're doing here is not providing and consuming intangible religious benefits. People used to say, when they're trying to get the church to get off its backside and get something done, God's church has a mission. God's church has something to do, and so it should be about the business of doing it. But I think that that statement has it backward. I think if we look at the scriptures, what we find is not that God's church has a mission, but rather that God's mission has a church. Go all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created all the, the things in creation except for humanity, and finally, chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. And here comes the mandate. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God gave light to kind of demarcate the, the daytime, and he, he gave fish to fill up the, the oceans and birds to fill up the skies but to humanity he gave a specific man, specific responsibility which was in a sense to take over the work of governing this creation that God had made this is sometimes called the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate he gave humanity not only the privilege, but the responsibility of doing this. He didn't just create humanity and then say, well, I guess I've got to give it something to do. Oh, I know that. I'll have them in charge of everything. No, he, he created humanity so that it would, in God's image, govern this great creation that he had made. Well, we know what happens after that, the fall of humankind. And so now, as a result of the fall, everything is broken. People's relationships with God are broken. They have guilty consciences. They don't get along with each other. They don't get along with this good world that God has created. And so what God does is he calls this one man, Abram. In Genesis 12, Yahweh said to Abram, Lead your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make, it, make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. 
I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Those who bless you, I will bless, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. God chose this one man, Abraham, and his people, his descendants, the nation of Israel, to be his agents in the work of reconciliation that needed to happen after humanity had screwed everything up. God called a people to be his repair mission. And as you know, that also didn't entirely go well. God's people were placed in the land, they were given every benefit, every opportunity, they were protected, they were kept safe, they were given God's Torah, God's law, that taught them how to live well, how they could live in a way that pleased them. And the point of that was that God's people would be a living advertisement for what it means to serve the one true God of the universe, to whom you need to be rightly related if things are going to, to, to work, if there's going to be harmony. And so, unfortunately, God's people, rather than doing that, managed to make a mess of things. Ended up being the opposite of a good advertisement for God. Ezekiel puts it this way when he's preaching to the nation in exile. They managed to get themselves defeated by the Babylonians, hauled off into captivity. And, and he says to his people, so this is what the Lord Yahweh says, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to restore you to the land. It's for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. Your job was to make me look good. You did exactly the opposite. And I'm going to show the holiness of my great name, which, by the way, again, has been profaned among the nations by you. And then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh, and I show myself holy through you before their eyes. It goes on to say, I want you to know, if someone we're not missing anything here, let's be clear. I'm not doing this for you. This is not about you. I'm doing this for my name's sake, declares the Lord of hosts. So be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct in the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all Pass through it, and they'll, they'll say, This land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden, the cities that were lying in ruins, desolate, and destroyed. Well, now they're fortified and inhabited. And then, what will happen? Well, then the nations around you will know that I, Yahweh, have rebuilt what was destroyed, thanks to you, and ever planted what was desolate, thanks to you. I, Yahweh, have spoken, and I'm going to do it. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Once again, I will yield to the plea of you. I will answer what you're asking of me. I will do this for them, and I'll make the people as numerous as sheep, numerous as the flock for offerings of Jerusalem during our appointed feasts. And so the ruined cities will be filled with flocks of people, and then they will know 
that I am God. So God's doing this not for the sake of his people. God's doing this for the sake of his reputation. He's doing this for the sake of this broader work of reconciliation that he's bringing about that his people were supposed to be cooperating with, supposed to be his agents of, and ended up getting in the way of it. And so when he says in Isaiah, again, in a part of the text, it's probably also written like Ezekiel to a people who are in exile, getting ready to get back into the land. He says, now remember, my people, it, it's too small a thing for you just to be my people, just to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel that I've kept. Remember, I'm also making you a light for the nations in order that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. When God blesses his people, he blesses his people in order that they may be a blessing to others. God didn't choose Abram just so that Abram could have a really special, happy little relationship with God to be a consumer of intangible religious benefits. He chose nations so that Abram, so that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And so we get to what Paul said in our text this morning from Romans. Paul says, look, the word's near you. The word's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Namely, that word of faith word of faith we are proclaiming. What is that word of faith? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead then you will be saved. With your heart you believe and confess with God. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all. He richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What we have in the church is God giving the mission that he once gave to his people Israel to his people the church to be a sign and an agent of the kingdom of God. He called us to show our neighbors what it looks like to be rightly related to the one true Lord of the universe. To invite them to join us in worshiping. To encourage one another as we do that. Not to sit here and be consumers of intangible religious services. And how that can be called when they haven't believed in. How can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? I mean, how can anybody hear unless somebody preaches to them? How can anybody preach unless he's sent? As it's written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Remember, not all of the Israelites accepted that good news. Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing that message. That message is heard 
through the word of Christ. In other words, this is our commission that Jesus sums it up at the end of Matthew's gospel. We'll spend a lot of time in this new church year. The end of you the spoiler at the end comes back from the dead. <laughs> and he says, look, all authority in heaven and on, on earth has been given to me. And because of that, you, my disciple, you go and make more of Make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. And I promise you, I'm going to be with you. Even until the end of the age, I'm going to be there with you as you're doing this. So one of the reasons that we honor Andrew, not just because we like to break out the flag crumble, it is lovely, not just because we happen to like the saltier, which is one of the simpler symbols of an apostle, I appreciate it, somebody who can't draw. One of the reasons that we honor Andrew is not simply because he just happened to be on the list of the 12 guys that Jesus called to be with him. We specifically honor Andrew as we pray in our college because he was the one who said, come and see. He is the one who, when Jesus said it, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And once, Andrew left his nets along with his sort of Peter, and he followed Jesus. So, as you may have noticed, in the shield, I've been dropping in all this great old English poetry. I'm going to with this hymn of singing from somewhere around the 10th century. Lo, now to celebrate the illustrious, the lovely day has arrived for us in its turn, as it should. The day on which a victor mounts high above the vicinity of the stars. Andrew, the holy apostle of the Lord and brother of Peter, that famous prince was himself a manly prince who shared the same martyrdom. Peter and Andrew had been fishers, afterwards both also caught multitudes in the world, plundered the seas of this life, and drew their catch up to the realm of heaven. As the Allies make equal progress and equally follow after Christ, they accumulate learning, they imitate his death, and follow his footsteps. I'll be